If you ever want to feel good about yourself, have people sing to you before you speak. <laughs> it feels so good. <laughs> well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you to National Youth Pastor Speaking Day. <laughs> Not exactly sure what that is. It's the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's where everyone on the church staff is exhausted and they decide to give the sermon that week to the person with the most energy. So that's me. And it's fitting because I am uh, really excited to, uh, to speak today. Can I get an amen? amen? I like it. All right. <laughs> you know, some churches see the week between Christmas and New Year's as kind of like an off week. They think that people are going to be you know, busy traveling and the people that are here are going to be distracted with all kind of uh, things on their mind. But we don't think like that here at Sandwich. Um, so this morning, we're going to be looking at God's truths in the Bible and lifting up the name of Jesus. All right. How's that sound? I figure it's a good way to start off the, the new year um, in just two days from now. I hope you guys all had a very fun Christmas. My guess is that it was an entirely stress-free holiday for everyone. Uh, no added drama and ample parking all around. Um, for all of you guys that hosted family over, um, I always think, uh, isn't it amazing how those events just kind of come together by themselves with no extra anxiety or anything like that? It's a joke that I make to my mom every year, and she never thinks that it's funny. So, <laughs> My personal favorite thing about Christmas is actually when it's over. I like the gift-giving and all the things that, that Christmas is about and everything, but after Christmas is New Year's, and I really like New Year's. Um, and just two days from now, we're going to be all watching the ball, staying up till midnight and uh, enjoying each other and celebrating the coming of 2019. And for me, well, for almost everyone, it's like a reset button in a lot of ways. And I always like setting New Year's resolutions. Um, I do it every single year. I don't think I've ever missed a year setting New Year's resolutions. Um, and one of the things that I like doing is I like to take evaluation of my past year. I look at the last year and think, okay, well, what did I do really well this past year? Where did I waste time this past year? And I look at relationships, too. And I think, where are the friendships that I need to invest in more over the next year? And I think about where are the, the relationships that maybe I should spend a, a little bit less time in next year. And over the years, as I mature, and, and yes, I do mature, <laughs> one area... <laughs> you guys laugh too hard at that. One, <laughs> One area of my life that I like to evaluate every single year is how I'm spending my time with Jesus. Um, and I look to see like how I'm doing it, when I'm doing it, if I'm doing it well. And back when I was in college, when I was pretty young and new in my faith, I would look at the next year goal and think, well, what should I do to spend more time with Jesus? And my goal was literally just do something. You know, I would look and say, okay, well, this next year, just read one book of the Bible. Go to church on Sunday and just get one thing out of the message on Sunday. And back then, I was really pleased with those goals. They were things that I could stick to being young in my faith and what I thought was really busy in college, not realizing that college was the most free time I would ever have in my whole life. <laughs> and thankfully, those goals, they stuck. Um, they weren't like people that would say like, well, this year I'm going to go to the gym every day. And then the next day, they're like, well, not every day. <laughs> and then two weeks later, they're like, eh, I'm comfortable with the way that I look. But what's beautiful is I started setting those small goals back in college, and I can see that even now those small steps had added up. They've added up a long way along my spiritual walk. So tomorrow, people are going to ask you guys, any New Year's resolutions? So I'd like to encourage you, set one goal this year to spend more time with Jesus, even if it's just one thing. Because one positive thing done every single day 
can really make a big impact in your spiritual walk and getting closer to Jesus. And it certainly shouldn't be done out of guilt either. If you feel guilty about not spending time with Jesus, you can let that go. God isn't trying to make you feel guilty about that. Um, Just get excited because he wants to have that closer, deeper relationship uh, with you. Um, And if your goal is to get closer to Jesus and right now you feel like you're not that close to Jesus, you should be the most excited person in this room. Because what do you have to do to get closer to Jesus next year? Just do something, right? Just do one thing um, that will move you closer to Jesus. Just don't let it be like that gym membership type of goal where you set it and then you, you no longer do it. But God is excited for you to have a desire to spend time with him. And he's proven his faithfulness of that and has proven his faithfulness to his people time and time again. So this morning we're going to look at one of those stories about God's faithfulness to his people. And we're going to be in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles or you're in your pew Bibles, you can turn to the, the book of Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 2. And just like Anne was talking about in the children's sermon, this is a story about the burning bush. And it may be a story that's very familiar to all of you, especially if you've been to kids' church anywhere. It's a story about how God speaks to Moses to go to Pharaoh and say that famous line, let my people go. So you may be very familiar with it uh, today, but even if you've heard it dozens and dozens of times, I want you to look at it this morning with fresh eyes. All right, so that's our goal for this morning. So before I jump ahead, uh, we need to go back a little bit and kind of catch up where we are before Moses meets with the burning bush. And uh, this is the time where the Hebrews were enslaved by the Egyptians. And the Egyptians didn't like how the Israelites were growing so much in number. So Pharaoh had this idea. He said, well, to keep them from growing so much, why don't we kill all of the baby boys? And he decides to do one of the most horrific things that the Bible mentions up to this point. And he tells the midwives that as the baby, borns are, baby boys are being born, to kill them right there. And for all the ones that survive or any baby that's under two years of old age, uh, they should be thrown into the Nile River. So that's what he wanted to do because he didn't want to raise a whole new generation of fighting young men that could eventually um, overtake them. So I'm going to start reading in chapter 2, verse 1. You don't have to follow along exactly, but you can. Or just picture what's going on uh, in your mind. So Moses is born, and then three months later is where we are in chapter 2, verse 3. But when she, Moses' mother, could not hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, Moses' sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. So Moses is brought up as a a son in Pharaoh's household, meaning he lived with, he ate with, and was taught by the best that Egypt had. And the Bible moves pretty quickly here. Um, It skips pretty quickly to where Moses uh, is already grown up, and uh, he's actually 40 years old uh, when we get to verse 11. It skips ahead pretty quickly. Verse 11, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. So somewhere along the way, Moses figured out that he was a Hebrew. It doesn't say that whether he knew it the whole time or if they revealed that to him later, but he knew that when he was looking out at these people doing all this hard work, he knew that he was supposed to be one of them. So continuing on, 
He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand, which is pretty intense. And I wish the Bible talked a little bit more about that, like how that whole interaction went and what it was over a little bit more. But it skips ahead of next verse right to the next day. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So that's a lot to take in in just a a few verses. Uh, But to summarize, Moses was raised by Pharaoh. He killed someone. He tried to cover it up. That didn't work. uh, Pharaoh gets upset, tries to kill Moses, and Moses runs to Midian, runs away to Midian. And Midian is a pretty far distance from Egypt because you want to put a lot of space between what was going on. And for the next 40 years, Moses has a pretty calm, seemingly nice life. He gets married. He works for his father-in-law he, as a shepherd. Uh, he has a, a bunch of sons. Um, but he stays away for 40 years. And when, like I said earlier, Moses was 40 years old when he fled, and then he's been away for 40 years for 40 years. So where we pick up the story this morning, Moses is 80 years old. He's 80 years old at the time. We always picture Moses as this young guy, don't we? Like a Charleston Heston kind of guy, or a Christian Bale for the younger Hollywood remake of the movie, which wasn't nearly as good. But So Moses was, he was 80 years old at the time of the burning bush. So that's the, ba- that's the whole background, and now we're, we're up to speed. So we're going to go to chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness to come to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Now, can you imagine this? Put yourself in this moment. What would you do? How would you respond if you're just minding your own business, trying to observe this weird sight, and all of a sudden, God calls out to you? Because God is speaking directly to Moses in this passage. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about, you know, it's not a, a, a building that makes something holy, but the Holy Spirit and dwelling in it that makes it holy. Same thing here. It's not the ground itself. God didn't choose like a special place of dirt. Um, it was because God was there that made this place holy. In verse 6, it says, At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Yeah, afraid to look at God? I bet he was. That must have been the most terrifying and amazing thing that you could ever experience. And Moses not only responds by removing his shoes, he also just lies down in the dirt. He's face to face with the dirt because of the, the presence of God. And I think in that moment, I would have been just like Moses. I don't think any of us wouldn't be like that. Just kind of you know, unbelievably terrified of what was going on because God is speaking right to him. Verse 6, in the beginning it said, Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
God wants Moses to know that this isn't just some Egyptian God, right? Like we know that Moses was an Israelite, but he was brought up in the house of Pharaoh. So he was probably, in, you know, had all the, the Egyptian gods around his life all the time. So God wanted to establish right away that this was the God of his forefathers. It wasn't just some made up God. Um, he wanted him to know that this was the God that made the covenant with Abraham. Because since then, God has been pretty silent. You know, for generations and generations, God hasn't spoken to any of the people. Um, but now God is breaking that silence for the first time. In verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians, and I will bring them, to, I will bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I had to look up all those pronunciations. <laughs> and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the, Egyptian, the, way the Egyptians are oppressing them, oppressing them. Now, Moses must be very excited at this moment um, because he's thinking, well, finally, God, you're going to do something. You're stepping in. You're going to free our people, and uh, you're going to put an end to all of their suffering. So he must be really excited up until this next verse. In verse 10, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Tell me there's no time in your life when God speaks to you and says, I need you to go to the most powerful king in the world, in the most powerful kingdom of the world, um, and go tell him, let my people go. Like, you ever have to go ask your boss a favor and you get a little nervous? Like, think about that, like, amplified to the extreme. Moses has to go ask a favor from a guy whose dad tried to kill him once. Because the Pharaoh that raised him and um, then she tried to kill him, he's died since. And now the Pharaoh of the land is actually Moses' stepbrother, who by all accounts probably wasn't a huge fan of Moses either. Oh, and these people that Moses is trying to go ask to be freed, they weren't just prisoners. And they weren't just some, like, servants. These were the labor force and the backbone of Egypt. You know, by all accounts, the, the Israelites were one of the main reasons that Egyptians or Egypt was so powerful. These are the ones that were making the pyramids and making the statues and making the palaces. These slaves were, um, they, they were the reason that Egypt was as powerful really as, as, as they were because they had a whole group of people that were doing all of their building and all of their labor for free. So, of course, Moses had some of his doubts that he's not just going to walk in there and Moses is just going to, I mean, in Egypt, the Pharaoh is just going to let him go. So he had his doubts in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Remember, Moses is 80 years old. We get these romanticized images of biblical characters and think that they're larger than life and they never doubt and they never have any insecurities, but they do. And they did, just like we still have today. And Moses had his doubts, so he tried to do exactly what any one of us would try to do. He tried to weasel his way out of it. He didn't want to do it. Um, just like uh, Anne spoke in the children's sermon and said that he wasn't eloquent of speech, a lot of scholars actually think that Moses had a, a speech impediment or a stutter. So he was not exactly who you would think that God would send to go do this really important job. 
Like, if you think, like, this is the guy who's supposed to lead the people out of bondage in Egypt? If you think about it, there's almost nothing about Moses that would make you think that this was the guy that God was going to have do such an important event in history. And that is exactly what God wants. That's exactly what he wants. Because this story is not about uh, just how amazing Moses is. No, it's not a story about how one man took down Pharaoh's army. This story is about the amazing and awesome power of God. He took a man who was flawed in multiple ways, a man who didn't even want to go and says, I'm going to use you to show everyone you know, how much I love my people. And when you realize all that, you think, okay, well, the next thing that God is going to say is like, Moses, I'm going to clear the path for you. I'm going to kill all those people that oppose you, so you don't have to worry about anything, but that's not what God says. Instead, God tells him in verse 12. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers have sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. See, we only see our weaknesses, and we always compare them to other people's strengths. And we look at our past failures and think, well, there's no way we can, ex- we can succeed in the future because of our past failures. And when someone doesn't have God on their side, they have to be worried about those type of things. Because when you don't have God on your side, you have to rely on your own strengths. But when God is on your side, you can actually boast in your weaknesses. You know, I believe when you have weaknesses, God looks down and says, good, I'm glad you have those weaknesses. Because now when you do something amazing, everyone is going to know that the God of the Bible is on your side. That the God of the Bible was involved. And you think, how much braver can we be going into battle knowing that God's on our side? We just sang the song this morning, the God of Angels Armies is on our side. Adrian picked that out this morning, and I loved it. It's a song that's been on my mind a lot this past week. But if you think about, like, Moses had God, he had angels' armies beside him, leading him. And we have that, too. If God's on our side, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, you know, even when we are standing in front of a king, God's with us. Even when we have to have that uncomfortable conversation with the family member, God is with us. Even when we have to stand up for injustice or against bullies or someone mistreating a friend, it says that God is with us. He's right by our side. And knowing that he's by our side, like, what couldn't we do? Could we go where God wants us to go? Could we say what God wants us to say? Could we do what God wants us to do? If God stood before us and said, I want you to stand up against those who oppose me, could we all do it? And, you know, we think, like, wouldn't it be great if God would just appear in a burning bush and say, like, this is what I want you to do, but he's not going to do that for all of us. So how do, we, how do we get to know God? How do we know what he wants from us? Well, it's by getting to know him more. And I've noticed that the more and more I've gotten to know Jesus, by reading his word and by prayer, I, he makes it more and more known that he is for me, that he is for every one of us. So when those times of trial and suffering happen, that we already know his character. And then it's easier to trust him, isn't it? They didn't know that he is right by our side in those times. 
So I want to encourage you all as we're going into 2019 to set a goal of spending more time with him this year, this coming year. Move closer to him than where you are right now. Because he's waiting to show you just how much he loves you. You know, we can read his word. We can spend time in prayer. We can get around other people who have a real intimate relationship with him already. Those are ways that we can get to know him. So we can set those goals. But don't let it be like those gym membership type of goals where they just fade over time. Because that way when we get to know him more, we know his heart for us and know that he's for us. When we, chase, when we face those challenges in our lives, or we don't want to go somewhere because it's out of our comfort zone, but we know we're supposed to go for him, we can know for sure that God is right beside us, standing right beside us uh, in those, those times of troubles or anything that, w- that we need to face. So it's better to know him then. Uh, the more we get to know him, the more we're going to know what he wants us to do. So when we face times of trial and suffering, I'm trying to reiterate that more, when we face those times of trial and suffering, we can know that God is right by our side. So happy new year, everyone. <laughs>